You are the worst representation of what it means to be a Christian. I am a Christian woman, and what I do know about Christianity is that we bear no prejudice, and everybody is welcome. So you can take all that disgrace, Mr. Pence, and you can look yourself in the mirror, and you'll find it right there. Those are the recent words of Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata, also known as Lady Gaga. She's a singer, songwriter, actress, longtime supporter of LGBTQ rights. And if you're not familiar with the context of those words, they came in response to Karen Pence's, the second lady of the United States. They came in response to her announcement that she wanted to go back to teaching. And she was going to go back to teaching art at a Christian school that she had taught at before in northern Virginia. Now there are a lot of people these days saying a lot of things about what Christians should be like and what they shouldn't be like. Things that they should do and should not do. Things that they should say and not say. A lot of things that Christians are called these days, they're called hateful They're called bigots for resisting the normalization of homosexuality and transgenderism. They're called unloving for their tight hold on that age-old belief that marriage should only be between one man and one woman. And there are a lot of people out there these days, people who call themselves Christians, and I truly believe are Christians, but they'll have a loved one or a close friend who's now identifying with some of those letters in that ever-extending chain of letters that describes who a person is, and out of their love and compassion for that person, they'll just feel like they need to accept and embrace, and they make a conscious decision to change the way they think about all of this. It's a revolutionary day that we live in. It's unstable. It's uncertain, it's controversial, and in some ways, it's downright dangerous. How do you navigate through it all? How do you avoid stepping on those landmines that are now all over us? I mean, is there some way that we can hold on as these shifting tides press in and press up against us? Is there some type of worldview GPS that will help us navigate the terrain that we now find ourselves stumbling through? It's a wilderness out here that we're living in. It's a wilderness. And just like a wilderness, it can be dry, it can be dusty, it can be desolate, and it can be disorienting. It can be difficult. It'll leave us dehydrated and disillusioned. It'll leave us dissatisfied. And in some cases, it'll leave us depressed. And we're not just talking about the challenges that come with the current cultural shift we're experiencing here. There is, life in general is a wilderness, isn't it? And there's all types of things that are challenging us each and every day. Like, things as simple as traffic. It's a wilderness out there. You may maybe experience loud neighbors or unruly children or crime or unreasonable bosses or insurmountable debt. The list could just go on and on and on. 
this is the wilderness in which the church exists. In this world you will have trouble. Man, did that guy know what he was talking about? In this world you will have trouble. That man wasn't unfamiliar with the wilderness. Would you turn with me to the book of Matthew? I just want to read four verses from Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And we'll read verses 1 through 4. And would you stand with me as we read from God's Word? Again, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. And walking through the wilderness is, is just part of life, isn't it? It's part of life. It's the reality of living in a world that's plagued by sin. The paradise that was once the Garden of Eden, that is long since past. For Jesus, the wilderness was a place of testing. It was a place where his natural human desires, they weren't going to be met the way they were typically met. The temperature would be high. The terrain would be difficult. The food would be scarce. In fact, we, we read here that he's fasting, so this, he was hungry. And it was during that time in the wilderness that the tempter came. And isn't that often the time that temptation comes our way? When things aren't easy, when we're tired, when we're hungry, when we're too cold or too hot, when we're exhausted, that's when the tempter comes. It's when those external and internal pressures, they press hard on us and we become vulnerable to compromise or to lash out, to give in, or to even change course. It's when we begin to consider doing things that we would not otherwise do, or saying things that we certainly would not otherwise say. It was in that time of testing, in that place of testing, that Jesus said something very profound. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And that would have been tempting. Jesus was absolutely hungry. His body was aching for food. But instead of cutting short this time that he had set apart to fast and to pray, instead of doing that, he quotes from Deuteronomy 8. And he says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Food is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Not only do we need it for our survival, but we love it. We, it, it can be absolutely delicious. It can be satisfying. It can be the source of incredible pleasure. We'll go to great lengths to get it. We'll plan our lives around it. Sometimes we'll spend more than we should to get the really, really good stuff. This is incredible to me still, but we'll take pictures of it. And then we'll post it on the internet 
so that everyone else can see what we're eating. Don't you wish you had this? And we love food so much that we'll even watch people making it on TV. And I say that totally convicted because I have done the same thing. I'm watching it on TV, I'm imagining what it tastes like, and now, now I'm watching them eat it, and somehow I'm getting some type of satisfaction, and then usually it's right after that that I have to get up and go to the kitchen to grab something to eat because I, I, I love food, I need food. Jesus does not deny that food is important, but there's something just as important as food. In fact, dare I say there's something far more important than food. Food's essential for our bodies to to, to go on living. They shut down and they die without it. But God's Word is crucial for our survival. For the survival of our spiritual lives. Lives that will go on, not just for the next 20, 30, 40 years or so, but lives that will sail into eternity and go on forever. You can take away my food, and I will wither and die. But my life isn't over. It's not over. I'll be stepping into an eternal life that's characterized by either joy or anguish. And that determination is based upon whether or not I knew and embraced God's Word. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? My body is dependent on food, but my life is dependent on God's Word. So Paul says in Romans 10.17, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. Salvation through Jesus Christ, it comes by faith alone. That's what these three demonstrated just a few moments ago. They've placed their trust in Him, and Jesus Christ has given them life. Faith and faith alone. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But it's not just faith in anything that saves us, right? It's not just, just have faith. Just, just have, if you just have faith, then, then you're good. Faith in anything is not what it's about. There are a lot of people who have faith in all sorts of things, but that doesn't mean that they have saving faith. You can believe all you want in those magical, glittering unicorns. But they're not going to save you. And they're not going to even help you pass that test or get that job promotion or resolve that conflict in your marriage or pay those bills, make all your dreams come true. They're not going to do that. Why? They're not grounded in reality. It's faith in a magical, mythical, imaginary thing. It doesn't do anything. It's just wishful thinking. We're wishing upon that star out there. And somehow it's going to do something for us. Well, Well, who's to say? What relationship do I have to that star out there? It's grounded in wishful thinking. Saving faith is not wishful thinking. It's grounded in truth. It has its origin, its foundation in the Word of God. And that's why Paul says it comes through hearing. It comes through hearing and internalizing certain truths. And the truths that saving faith relies upon, they're they're found only in God's Word. It's the only place they're found. 
My salvation is dependent on faith, which has to be based in God's Word. Last week we said that the purpose of Christ's church, our purpose, as people who have faith in Christ, as people who have been brought out of darkness and into His marvelous light, as those who have been set free from their chains, as those who were once enemies but are now friends of God, as those who were once orphans but have now been adopted into the family of God, our purpose is to image the glory of God as we listen to and obey His Word. I mean, I could say all I want. I want, to, well, I want to image God. And I go out there and I do my best to imagine what God wants of me. And I, I go around trying to follow through on that. But I, that's not enough. Because I'm going to make missteps. I'm going to image God, God in ways that I shouldn't be imaging God. I'm going to give a poor image of God. That's what happens when I do things on my own. But if I'm going to image God well in the way He wants me to, I've got to go by the book. I've got to look to the book, I've got to listen to it, and I've got to obey it. If we're going to be the people that God saved us to be, if we're going to live the way that He has called us to live, if we're going to be healthy examples of His people, then we've got to be people of His Word. Healthy Christians are people of the Word. They're people of the Word. They know it. They live it. And they love it. And just like it is with food, without God's Word, if if we don't eat it on a regular basis, we starve ourselves. We begin to wither. We begin to get sick. And we begin to suffer in ways that we should not suffer because we don't have this Word that we are regularly feeding on. The prophet Hosea wrote to Israel on God's behalf. In Hosea 4.6 he said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And the knowledge he was talking about was knowledge of God's Word, of God's law. Because they had rejected God's Word, had forgotten God's law, there were serious consequences that came with it. And the same is true when Christians don't intentionally feed themselves on a steady diet of God's Word, they experience consequences as well. As they walk through this wilderness of life, they lose their bearings. They begin to fall for mirages that are out there on the horizon. They start listening to all those screaming voices in their heads speaking lies and leading them to their doom. This is what happens to Christians who aren't in God's Word. Without a steady intake and knowledge of God's Word, someone might recall having heard a sermon, something about Christians needing to be loving, but because they're not firmly rooted in God's truth, well, they latch on to what other people are telling them that Christian love should look like. People who say, well, how could you say, how could you say you are a loving person and not want me to have everything that my heart desires? That's not loving. You call Christians are supposed to be loving. You're not loving. You're not giving me everything I want. You mean to tell me that you would choose the life of an unborn child over a woman's right to live her life the way that she pleases without any consequence? You're telling me you would choose the unborn life versus the woman here? How could you say that you know anything about what love is? When Christians hear 
those voices enough times without intentionally pouring into God's truth and letting it wash through their minds on a regular basis, chances are they're going to eventually start believing those voices that are constantly bombarding them. They may recall Jesus saying something about not judging. You remember something about He said something about that. And then because they're not firmly rooted in God's Word, they start to think that um, maybe there really isn't anything objective in this life. I mean, we're in this kind of postmodern world where you know what's right for you may not be right for me and vice versa. Jesus said not to judge. All right. They may remember hearing something in the church about God supplying all their needs. Oh, I love that part in the Bible. But then they go on believing a lie that trusting in Jesus should make them happy and healthy and wealthy. They're not firmly rooted in God's Word. They may remember a time in the Bible where God spoke to someone in a dream or in a vision. And then instead of doing the work and getting into God's Word and seeing what He has clearly spoken and communicated to us, they're just out there longing, God, give me a dream. God, give me a vision. Give me an audible voice so that I might know Your will. And so the Christian who abandons God's Word becomes... They become spineless, wishy-washy shadow of what Christ saved them to be. Their God has become small. They've somehow become big. Their way has become cloudy. They're weighed down with all sorts of sins that should have been avoided. They're blown over by the slightest opposing breeze. They hear some pop star call them a bigot and they cower in fear. Without being firmly rooted in and fed a steady diet of God's Word, the chances of survival in this world that we live in, they are slim. Our world is a wilderness. But thank God that He has given us everything that we need for our survival. More than that, for our flourishing. Even in the wilderness. And He's given it in His Word. Healthy Christians are people of the Word. They know it. They live it. They love it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so healthy Christians would agree with the psalmist. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statues, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Do you delight in God's Word? They would look at Psalm 119.10 and say, Amen. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. They declare, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your Word. They confess, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. They say, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. They sing, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
They say, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your word gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right healthy christians are people of the word they know it they live it they love it what about you what about me do you know it do you live by it do you love it or are some are you someone who has placed your trust in christ because you first heard the word of god but now you're just surviving on scraps You've been living off those MREs, content with this diet of rations when a bountiful feast is at your fingertips. That's not the way we should be living. That's not the way that healthy Christians live. And I'm convinced that the weakened state of the American church is due to the fact that its people have ceased to be people of the Word. They've starved themselves of God's truth. And as a result, they've become, they've become weak. They've become spineless, cowardly, disillusioned, depressed, lifeless, prone to compromise, prone to criticize, quick to follow trends, quick to buy into what works, jealous of worldly success, craving to satisfy every heart desire, caring more about what other people think than about what God thinks, dying of thirst for a deep spirituality, but only willing to attain it in these cheap, instant, prepackaged ways through like self-help books and visions and words of faith and emotionally manipulative music or contrived spiritual experiences rather than devoting themselves to careful study of God's Word and calling upon Him in fervent prayer. That is not the church that we want to be. Not the church we want to be. We want to be a church that is healthy. Fundamental to that health is being people of the Word. In the few minutes we have left, let me just take a a quick moment or two just to help us see what being a person of the Word looks like. First, people of the Word are their expositional readers. Expositional readers. That means when they read the Bible, that they're doing so asking the question, what does this passage mean? Not, what does it mean for me? They aren't lazily reading each verse and saying, well, this verse, see, I think it's saying to me something about this. Oh, it says that for you? Oh, well, it's saying this to me. Or this verse, well, it just makes me feel this way. I'll tell you, in my undergrad over at Azusa Pacific, I'd be in groups with students, and I would hear this kind of talk over and over and over again. Oh, yeah, well, you see that truth there, but let me, let me help you understand what I see. And it was all this subjective exercise. When you write something on on a note, 
or you post something on social media, you have an intended meaning behind it. You're hoping to convey a certain message, and you're hoping that the person who reads that, who receives it, gets that message. You don't want to miscommunicate here. And in the same way, we, an expositional reader, they, they recognize that there is an intended meaning in these words. It's not all up for interpretation. We have to examine it. We have to, to, to examine it and, and hold it up against itself. What well, it says this here, well, what does it say in this part of Scripture? And then we bring it all together and we say, okay, this seems to be what God's Word is saying. I think this is what it means. There's something that the author wanted to convey here. Something that God wants to say through His Word. That's what we do when we approach His Word. What does God, what is He saying here? I want to know. It's not about what I would like Him to say. It's not about reading myself into His Word. It's about reading His Word and letting it speak itself to me. They want their beliefs to line up with this. Not for this to somehow validate the beliefs we already have. So they don't just read it by skimming over it. They meditate on it. When they don't understand something, they're going to other primary sources. They're going to commentaries. They're, they want to know what the great minds throughout history have, have seen in this. And they want to evaluate it. I want to get what is the meaning here. They talk about and pray with friends after hearing a sermon on Sunday morning throughout the week. They go back to sermons and they, they ask themselves, did I really get what the pastor is saying? And was the pastor really saying what God's Word says here? And they don't let questions come up as they're reading God's Word and they just say, oh, that's confusing. I don't understand that. Oh, well, let's move on. No, they go back and they wrestle and they try to figure out what, how can I answer this question. And they also read with humble hearts, ready to accept whatever God has to say to them, no matter what it might be. People of the Word, they're expositional readers. They read in a way that wants to uncover what God's Word has to say. They're kind of like an archaeologist. They're digging down into it. They're uncovering it. They're, they want to pick it up. They want to examine it from all angles so that they know what it is that they're dealing with here. They're expositional. They expose the meaning of the text. Secondly, people of the Word are biblical theologians. They're biblical theologians. Did you know that when you came to faith in Christ, that you were called to be a theologian? You were called to be someone who knows God and knows Him better and better and better each day. Because that's who you're going to be with for all eternity. You better know who this person is that you're going to be with. We're biblical theologians. By that I mean that we are devoted to knowing God and knowing His plan of salvation. We're dedicated to knowing it better. So we're scouring the pages of this book. We're looking from cover to cover. What does this say about God? And what does this say about His relationship to me? They want to know everything that the Bible has to say about a certain subject. Rather than just, oh, they have this verse over here It says, don't judge, so okay, well I guess I can't judge. No, they, they look at it all. They want to know, how does this fit into the context here? They're theologians. They take seriously Jesus' command to go into all the world 
make disciples, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then he says, teaching them all. They take that all very, very seriously. They want to they know it all. What is, what is the final word that God has to say about this or that? And so they study the Bible looking for those big themes in Scripture. And then they'll pick up a, comment, uh, a systematic theology like Wayne Grudem's massive book, Systematic Theology, and they'll actually spend time reading it. I know people who, who grab that commentary, and that's what, that, that's what they do for discipleship with other, other friends. And they go to the coffee shop, and they sit down. All right, we're on chapter 472. And you're just like, okay, let's talk about this. I used to think that theology was, was lifeless. I wanted, I wanted the experience of Christianity. Don't give me all this doctrine stuff. We get way down. People argue about this stuff. But I've come to realize that the doctrine gives life to the experience. And without the doctrine, I, don't, I may ha- be having some type of experience that I think is spiritual and I think is from God, but it is not at all from God. I need to know the doctrine. And so I read those systematic theologies. And I, and I read through my church's statement of faith. Because my church wrote this statement of faith and they say these things are really important. These are the things that we all rally around. We say we believe, we all agree to believe this. And I want to know that. And if there's something in there that I question, I want to, I want to talk to somebody about it. Because this matters. I want to be a biblical theologian. And they're passionate about defending the doctrines that, they, that are essential. The doctrine of salvation, the message of the gospel, I will defend that to my dying breath. And at the same time, they'll say, you know, there's some other, some other things that aren't quite on the level of as importance as the doctrine of salvation. And you know what? I, it's good that I know what I believe, but if someone believes different, differently than me, then I, I can give grace to that person. I can love them and I can care for them. And maybe together we can start talking about this and see if we can come to some conclusions about this. They're biblical theologians. They're expositional readers. Finally, they're gospel-saturated. People of the Word are gospel-saturated. The gospel just permeates every part of their lives. They know the gospel. They live the gospel. They share the gospel. They guard the gospel. I can't tell, tell you how many people I've sat down with and either for a baptism class or a new members class, or even hiring a person uh, to serve at, at a church. And I'll ask them, can you, just, can you just share with me, if you were sitting down here with an eight-year-old, what would be the, the essential things that you would tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ? I can't tell you how many times I get blank stares. And how many times it's, I hear something come out of their mouths, and it's just, well, it's about following Jesus. I'm like, yes, and? It's not good. It's not good. No, people of the Word, they know that the Gospel is so much more than the good news that we're okay. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than God is love. 
Or that Jesus wants to be your friend. Or that you should follow Him. They know the Gospel is not about making them happy, healthy, and wealthy. No, they know that the Gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. That God in His goodness lovingly created them. But because they have failed and fallen short and have actually intentionally disobeyed Him, in His anger, He has directed that anger towards them and actually has to punish them. God is angry with me? He he actually is. Because you have sinned and His wrath is now turned to you. They know that. It's It's not easy to accept. We don't like that idea, but it is here in Scripture. And if we don't have it and embrace it, well then the good news is no longer good news anymore because the good news is that yes, you were condemned. Yes, you were living in darkness. Yes, you should be completely destroyed and be, be uh, sentenced to an eternity of anguish apart from God. But God in His great mercy and love for you, He made a way. He made a way by sending Jesus Christ to take your place on that cross And by giving $10,000 to the church. (laughs) No. It's by simply coming before Him and laying it all down before Him. God, here are all the the things that I think are good. I think these make me a good person. You You just set all those things down. And then with them, you take all of this massive black garbage bags of sin and you throw them down one after the other in front of the cross and they pile high and God's grace covers all of them. The blood of Jesus Christ forgives each and every one of them. Because of that, those bags just disappear. You're washed clean. You're forgiven. The relationship with God that you severed is now restored. And you have the promise of eternity in heaven with Him. And all they had to do was turn from their rebellion and trust in Jesus. People of the Word, they know the Gospel. They can spell out the Gospel. They don't tire of hearing the Gospel. And so they come to church each and every week, and the pastor every week seems to somehow be talking about the Gospel, and they love it. Here he goes. I, I need this. I needed this, this this week. I needed to hear it. I want to hear it again. You mean those bags are really gone? Yes, they're really gone. Oh, how I love it. But now I, I just need to sing. I, I just need to, I need to praise God for what He has done. They, they preach the Gospel to themselves on a daily basis. They're having a hard time at work and they're frustrated with other people and they're speaking the love of Jesus to themselves and saying, you know what? I deserved more punishment that these people deserve that just wronged me and Christ forgave me. Can I, can I forgive them too? They're living out the Gospel. They live each day walking in the confidence that the Gospel gives them. I need that. I think you do too. You go through life and you do something, you say something, you think something, and you're like, oh my gosh, what kind of a person? Man, if Charlie Connolly knew what I thought this week, we may not be friends anymore. And I'm preaching the Gospel to myself. And I'm saying, Jesus Christ, even if Charlie doesn't love me anymore, Jesus Christ loves me. He died for me. I stand righteous and forgiven before Him right now. They're praying for opportunities 
to tell others of that good news because they see what a difference it makes in their lives. And when they see the gospel tarnished, and they see different preachers out there on the radio or on the internet, and they're proclaiming a gospel that has some things in there. They did say believe in Jesus, but I'm not sure they're talking about the same Jesus that I know. And the things that they're telling people to trust in Jesus for, well, those things, that's not the reason we trust in Jesus. And the promises, no, it it doesn't match up. And the people who live the gospel, who are gospel-saturated, they say, no, this is not right. And they stand up and they seek to make the true gospel known. They guard it. They see the gospel of Jesus as not just the starting point for them, but they see the gospel of Jesus as a vehicle to leading them to an ever more personal, precious relationship with God. When they hear the gospel, they say, I, I, I see the heart of the eternal Almighty God in this gospel. This is who my God is. I want to hear the gospel. Can you? Can I just watch it? I, when uh, one of the Star Wars movies was coming out, and I have a brother who is just fascinated with Star Wars, and the trailer came out, and he watched it again and again and again because it was the trailer was the promise for what was coming. What did J.J. Abrams create? Oh, and he's examining frame by frame. I want to know every. I don't know how many times he watched it. And I'm just like, Aaron, I'm I'm done. I'm not, like, go away. Go, you know, I don't want to hear about this anymore. I don't want to hear Star Wars anymore. I don't want to talk about Darth Vader. I don't want to talk about anybody anymore. But when it comes to the gospel, we should be going. Yes, I want to examine this. I want to hear it over and over and over again. I want to think about how it applies to this situation in my life and this aspect of my life. I want to talk about substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? Oh, this is incredible. The hope that I have, what must, if the gospel is this good, what must the future that I have for eternity with this precious loving God be like? They're expositional readers, they're biblical theologians, they're gospel saturated. These are people of the word, they're healthy Christians. These are the people that we want to be. Because life is a wilderness. There are pop stars out there, there are politicians, there are educators, there are employers, there are friends, there are family, there are acquaintances who will tell you what they think a good Christian should be. There are people who call themselves Christians who will wag their fingers at you and tell you to get with the times, get on the right side of the history, we did it. There are people who will accuse you, who will threaten you, who will slander you, who will harass you, who will bring lawsuits against you. And that's on top of all the other difficult things that there are in this life. Life is a wilderness. But thank God He has given us everything that we need to navigate through it, to flourish in it, in His Word. Healthy Christians are people of the Word. They know it. They live it. They love it. What part does God's Word play in your life? Do you feed on it regularly? Or are you settling for a 30-minute meal, really an appetizer, on Sunday mornings and then starve yourself the rest of the week? Man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's pray. Lord, we, we love you, and we love you because we know about you. We know something of who you are. We've learned that in your word. Help us to be people of your word. Help us to cherish it, to treasure it, to pour ourselves into it and let it wash over us. May we be people whose minds are transformed as we, we immerse them in your truth. Lord, would you give us that kind of unshakable faith that we need to make it through this life that we live and this world that is increasingly antagonistic towards Christians, Lord. May we, may we be devoted to your word. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you that your word is a gift to us that helps us persevere through this wilderness of life. We love you. Thank you for this time we've had. In Jesus' name.